Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Hallie Bach. She is the author of Life Incorporated, a practical guide to wholehearted living and founder of the CEO of Life Incorporated, an organization that fosters mindful connection in all areas of life as the means to experience a wholehearted, fulfilling and joyful life. So, Hallie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca, for having me. So what inspired you to, you know, write this book and and found Life Incorporated? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I spent the last decade of of my life uh, specifically working in the field of leadership development and training others on the art and skill of conversation, which is really how do we connect with one another? How do we move our relationships, our businesses forward through this thing called conversation, (laughs) which, you know, surprisingly overlooked. And yet it's this free, always available resource um, to us. And it was during that work that not only, you know, did I recognize and and see what I, I think a lot of us would find is obvious that we are having a harder time getting out from behind our devices and screens and actually having in-person conversations. But in order to have a meaningful and rich conversation and connect with another person, you must first be connected to self. There needs to be an anchor or grounding in yourself. Um, And it became more and more clear to me um, as I saw stats such as that we are the most obese, uh, medicated, addicted, um, and stressed that we have ever been um, as a nation. And with these individuals, I was training on how to connect with others that, that really we've become uprooted from ourselves, uh, almost like these trees that have been toppled over upside down with our roots hanging out and we're not even aware, but yet we're just very reactive and not knowing where to turn. And so recognizing that uh, as a bit of an epidemic, honestly, in, in America, I really took my work and wanted to set down, put down working with organizations and sharpen my pencil and work at the root cause and what's getting, um, you know, what's getting in our ways individuals to be comfortable in our own skin, let alone with another person. So what does the title Life Incorporated mean? Life Incorporated, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not about, um, you know, ink, um, in terms of, you know, incorporating a, a business, yet I think a lot of us treat our lives that way. You know, we're tr- trying to build a portfolio. We're trying to look good online and in and, and every way and spit polished and shined. Um, but instead, it's a bit of a play on that, and it's to bring all of life and incorporate all 
aspects into it as a whole, as opposed to living our lives and sort of having a career track and, and perhaps a face that we have that we present to the boardroom, a face that we have and, and present to our family, a face that we present to our friends and, and, and all these disparate pieces of life that we're either uh, really aware of and are nurturing or likely have dropped altogether because we're so hyper-focused on one area. And Life Incorporated is about how do we become aware of all aspects of life that are important if we want to live, at the end of the day, a joy-filled and fulfilling life, and then braid them together in a way that's manageable. So when, you know, you're talking about people being disconnected, what does that look like when, when we are that way? Well, you see it everywhere, or at least I do. You know, I go to restaurants, and um, there's a table full of kids, and yet it's incredibly quiet, um, and it's a bit disturbing because you look over and find that they are sitting shoulder to shoulder with one another with their faces buried in their phone. Um, you know, or, or um, you know, with, with adults, we're doing the same thing. We have this sort of twitch instead of being really present with ourselves or with our family or kids around us, we're more concerned with if there's a notification on our phone, if there's an email we need to get to, if there's been a response to something, if there's a new headline. Um, and and we are, are handing over what's important to us and letting that be dictated by the outside. Well, you know, is it... I saw this the other night. Actually, we were at a restaurant and there was a table of probably 10 people and half of them kids next to us and they were all on their phones. We looked over and and all the kids were looking at their phone or their the phone next to them, you know, and instead of participating and engaging in a conversation, they were just, you know reading a screen, which is definitely not um, experiencing the life the way I did when I was a kid and we went out places <laughs> and we had conversations yeah. with the person in front of us, you know. Yeah, so, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it takes vulnerability to be in a conversation. Um, but that vulnerability is really important if we're going to learn how to um, empathize, you know, uh, with, with another um, and really understand the impact that we're having in conversation. And not all of them are going to go well, um, but rather than be afraid of those conversations that don't go well, we need to have them to be able to learn, okay, how is it that when I connect with a person and I say something and that that impacts them in a negative way, I need to see that and not hide behind a screen or an emoji that I'm throwing up with a smiley face when really that's not what's going on here. When we're face-to-face, when we're eyeball-to-eyeball, the truth is right there. We can't hide from it. Well, and I think one thing with that all being the kids that were on the phones is um, we're... I, I think a lot of people are afraid to have their kids be bored. You know, they go to a restaurant and their kids might, I don't know, get loud or get into trouble. So bring the phones so that they just sit there. Yeah, these digital babysitters. But, you know, I, I, I don't, I've read quite a few articles that, that um, 
point out the gift of boredom. You know, it's it's good for our kids to be bored. It's good for adults to be bored. You know, we're we're training ourselves out of that habit. And so, you know, we're the ones that are modeling this for our children. They didn't just pick up these phones and start this behavior on their own. You know, they're simply emulating what, what they're seeing. And if we're not allowing ourselves to be still and, and quiet and to get bored and that little bit of discomfort that happens uh, between being bored and then finding the next thing or traveling on to a deeper thought and, and, and instead pulling the ripcord and bringing out a device, then our kids are going to adopt the same behaviors. And that's what causes that disconnection. That's when we, we can't ground in our own selves and our own passion, what's important for us, what our bodies need, what we desire from the community when we are constantly lifting ourselves up and out of this moment right here. So can you just explain what you mean when you say being grounded? Yeah, you know, I, I, for me, be, being grounded in one's own life is the real key here. What I see a lot and hear from a lot of folks is that um, we have have reverted to finding our self-worth or hustling for our self-worth by emulating what others have, what we see on social media, what, what kind of car we see that's parked down the driveway, what our friends have. And instead of looking within um, and to that, you know, vulnerable place of, of really what turns me on, what is meaningful to me, what would give me value and be enriching and rewarding to me and spending the time to really go deep and figure that out. Instead, we sort of borrow the masthead off of someone else's, you know, ship and, and sail with that. But when we do that, when we just uh, try to go for accolades and collect things that we see others have and stuff ourselves with them, we don't um, fulfill that need for self-worth. In fact, we become even more empty, even more frantic and desperate and unhappy than before because it, isn't, it doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to us. Um, so it can do nothing for us. And, and what I want more than anything is, is to help people realize that that is why, um, that is why you're continuing to suffer in this loop. And instead, we need to stop and, and turn in and get quiet um, and come home to ourselves so that we can determine what it is that will make us happy. Only that is going to scratch that itch. Only that. So in your book, you talk about um, what it means to live from the inside out. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah, so, you know, that the antithesis of that is living from the outside in, which is basically what I just described. Like, you know, I'll, I'll put on a pretty face or I'll, I'll go and... and, and post a beautiful picture and have my life look great so that I can get all these likes and sort of these rewards um, that, that will make me feel good in the moment, but they, they don't last very long. Pretty soon we need to go back to that well again. That's living life from the outside in. Or, you know, you can do that in a physical way, um, for, you know, hit the gym, uh, hit the track, get yourself in beautiful athletic shape, um, all to cover up the desire to not go within because we really are running away from 
some, some fear inside. So we can look sort of, you know, beautiful in a lot of different ways from the outside, but if we haven't tended to the inside first, then it really doesn't matter because just like a tree with um, dry rot, one bad day can, can um, sell us, you know, can push us over because we don't have the inner fortitude. We don't have um, that inner core to come back to. So working from the inside out, you know, it's really getting to your inner life. We need to begin there. And there are practices such as mindfulness, gratitude, journaling, um, that allow us to connect back with our inner world. You know, what is our relationship with ourselves currently? Uh, when I... Before I wrote the book, my relationship with myself was really unhealthy. I was afraid of who was in there. I was so busy pleasing others um, and and sort of hustling and trying to gain my own self-worth and and achieve uh, love, you know, by making others happy or or putting money in their pocket. I did not know who was in this form, you know, this, this mortal coil. And it was very frightening for me um, to be still and deal with those emotions or underlying fear and just get to know who's Hallie, who's in here. When, when I'm not trying to please everybody else, when I'm not trying to like go after a goal um, because I want to run and do something fast, who's here? And it wasn't until I took that step um, and connected with myself and developed a healthy relationship with myself that I was able then to put forward my own work that has so much more meaning and so much more reward than anything I could do on behalf of another person. So um, when you were going through this, what um, happened for you to realize that you were living from the outside in? Well, it took, for me, it was a very uh, dramatic um, event. Um, I was running my mother's. Um, my, I was running my mother's business, and it was always a difficult relationship, even from childhood for me. Very hard uh, relationship with my mother. Um, just you know, for me, never really had a sense of if if she liked me, you know, if, if she loved me. And here I was in my 40s, um, still trying to uh, kind of pull down that ring and, and get that trophy um, from from her. Unfortunately, you know, I, I, a couple things. First, I was looking for somebody else to validate me. Um, so that was sort of problem number one, but it's natural when it's your mother. Um, and number two... I was looking for a validation from someone that really just couldn't provide it. Um, no fault of her own. It just wasn't in, you know, her particular DNA. And so here I was running her business and on one day walked into the office and was fired in a, in a fairly, you know, just short, abrupt, um, it had its own um, sense of, of violence in that it was just very cold and callous in, um, and, you know, heard later that there was a toast, um, a request for a bottle of wine so she could toast the event after I left the building. And it was that moment, as difficult as that was, and, you know, it had me on my, <laughs> on my lips for, you know, a, a few weeks. Um, but 
it's what it required to rip that veil off for me. I was spending my time, I was spending my life trying to make somebody else happy, trying to validate my own existence by doing something or getting something from someone else, and we cannot do that. That's a, it, it, we can't, that's a game that, you know, there are no winners. There just are no winners. We have to live life for ourselves first. Um, well, I, I definitely agree with you, and I think a lot of people can relate to that story because I think that's what most people are doing. It takes a lot of self-discovery to, to do things for yourself. Um, we're going to take a quick break right now. We're talking with Hallie Box. She's the author of Life Incorporated, A Practical Guide to Wholehearted Living. We're going to be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We're talking today with Hallie Bach. She's the author of Life Incorporated, A Practical Guide to Wholehearted Living. So, Hallie, before the break, um, you mentioned some things that can help people um, become less, like, more connected, less disconnected. Um, can you just explain to us what mindfulness is? Yeah, mindfulness is really the, the practice. Um, it, it's the awareness of being in a state of mind where you are aware and alert to your thoughts, 
um, as opposed to not being, you know, sort of aware of them and your thoughts running over uh, over you. Um, a lot of people mistake mindfulness and, and think of meditation as, well, in order to, to be doing that right, then the idea is to stop all thoughts. You know, I'm just sort of in this zen um, holding state and nothing's coming in or out. And that's a fallacy. That's that's not true. Um, what you're wanting to achieve with mindfulness um, is, is just the awareness and to be able to recognize when thoughts are coming in so that you can recognize them, perhaps label them, and then send them, you know, on their way, sort of bring yourself back to, to center. And, and what that does is it begins to create a separation and, and make us realize that our thoughts simply are these thoughts, they're stories. Um, a lot of times they're not true. They're not really based in any any real truth. There may be a shred of truth, but the mind likes to blow that up and um, go to worst-case scenario. And it gives us an opportunity to see that this feels real, but it's not true. And so instead of being my thoughts, I can separate myself and understand that, hey, that's something my mind is working on Um and, and I can process that a bit, but then come back to self. Um, Victor Frankl has a quote that I love, which is, between a thought um, and reaction, there is a space. In that space is your power. And in that pause or that space between a thought and then our reaction, mindfulness is a great wedge to use to get between that space of thought and then reaction, so that it, when we are not when we're not intentionally going in there and saying, "Okay, give me a moment," you know, this is this is a thought um, and processing that, we tend to react. We go into our limbic system. We get really wrapped up. We get hyped up. Uh, we want to uh, protect ourselves. We go to fight, flight, you know, freeze. Um, but with mindfulness, we can begin to widen that gap. Um, and we can also, as you go deeper with the process and allow, you know, if there are more harmful or negative thoughts or patterns that reoccur with you, it gives you the chance to welcome them, if you will, on the stage in your mind in a way that's healthy and, um, and allow them, allow you to connect with that Figure out what that part of you, what that thought is stemming from, what's the real truth behind that, and then to nurture whatever that need is, that underlying need um, that has gone unfulfilled, and you begin to become your own caregiver. And when you do that, then those thoughts that have been sort of frozen and locked up and, and tied up for so long, they begin to flow. They begin to loosen up, unknot and work themselves out so that new, you know, energy can come in. So, um, you know, we're talking about experiences like yours, which I think, you know, everybody's gone through some sort of, you know, uh, traumatic event or, or just something very stressful. How can we heal from the negativity that comes from that or even just the negative thoughts that we've been brought up with? What, what do we do to overcome those? Yeah, I think mindfulness is is a wonderful practice, and, and, you know, we we could 
spend an entire hour on some meditations that are great for that. But instead of doing that, you know, I'll point you to one of my favorite resources if you're new to mindfulness and specifically in healing um, your yourself or any or your relationship with yourself. It's Tara Brock, Tara T A R A Brock B R A C H. Her website, tarabrock.com. She's got tons of great podcasts and, and meditations and, and can get you off the runway very quickly. Um, so, so that's one thing. Another is we need to retrain the brain to connect with positivity. Um, when we've been traumatized, and, and I certainly had PTSD actually coming out of that event with myself, I was very attuned to negativity, you know, and, and if anything, I mean, it could be a, a circus coming down the street. I, I would sort of paint over that and, and find something negative. You know, I, that's really all I could let in. And one of the really powerful ways to begin to tune the brain and send up an antenna towards positivity again is through the exercise of, of gratitude. And I know that listeners hearing this are probably like, oh, my God, here we go again with the gratitude. It's a bit nauseating, and I get it. But the reason why everybody is talking about it is because it really is effective and powerful and has been proven in, in research now um, to, you know, folks that, that report um, a more positive outlook, experiencing more joy, they practice gratitude. And they do it diligently, not just when they think of it. So every day I write down 10 things that I'm grateful for um, even if I have to search for it, you know, even if it's uh, the soft rug under my feet, you know, it's just finding some things that I'm grateful for and also why I'm grateful for it. It's not just, you know, I'm grateful for my wife. It's I'm grateful for the conversation I had with my wife today because it allowed me to connect with her on a deeper level. And when we do that, we sort of set up an antenna. We can experience more positivity and then we're also, in a way, telling the universe, this is what I like and this is what I need. And when we do that, I'm telling you, the universe starts to line up behind you and send more your way. So there's that as well. And the third thing I would mention here is, is to check out your community. Um, people's energy, you know, and others have a great influence on us. Um, I have known people that can walk into a room and without saying a word can kill the environment. Um, you can just feel them, feel the negative energy. Uh, on the other hand, there are people that I will go to when I need a shot in the arm because they just are, are great life force for me in particular. They just fill my cup. Um, so you need to scan your community. Do you have people in your community that aren't contributing in a positive way, that are creating more negative impacts and situation for you than positive. And if so, you need to take at least a pause from those relationships, especially if you're coming out of any sort of traumatic event. You've got to clean up your entire environment, and that includes that community you're with. Well, I know for, for some people, say they're they're brought up with a lot of negativity, um, instead of being drawn to the ones that, you know, fill their cup, um, they're they're being drawn to the ones that will reinforce how they were brought up. So how can somebody start to recognize that um, that's happening and and they need to change that? Yeah, you know, and, and that's a tough one, right? Because we 
we like our brain likes patterns, and especially when there's emotional uh, uh, wounds, we tend to go back and we find people that replicate the person that created those wounds with us because we're trying to find a positive way to come out of that and heal our wounds. And this is all unconscious, but this is what we're doing. Unfortunately, what happens is we end up re-traumatizing ourselves and reopening and getting right back into the cycle of, of relationship interaction that we were originally. Um, and, but, it, you know, it has this sort of addictiveness to it because we know it. It's familiar, and there's something nice about familiar even when it hurts and even when it's volatile. Um, so, you know, certainly recognizing you're in those situations, you know, some of us, like me, <laughs> have to get not just a whisper, but a scream, right? You know, my mother had to fire me for me to realize, like, okay, I'm not going to win this battle. Um, sometimes that's what it takes. And at that point, you know, when you're on your knees, you're looking at your results, and, and it's, it's a real good time to take an inventory. Um, my hope is others don't need that kind of a strong message. I would just begin to look around, you know, and, and ask yourself, you know, are these relationships, especially ones that are volatile, that are up and down, you find yourself leaving, you find yourself coming back, um, there's a lot of strong emotion to you know, pause and, and really get real with yourself. You know, is this emulating another relationship I have had in the past? And if it looks like another relationship you've had in the past, then that is your cue that you are trying to heal emotional pain with this person. And it's, it's, it's a toxic situation in that case. Um, and when you do recognize it, really what you need to do, uh, as much as I'd like to say mindfulness could help you, um, it, can, it can be a great add-on, but really a therapeutic process for understanding, okay, what is it I'm trying to get? You need that outside perspective. I, I think sometimes we, you know, we all need an outside perspective just to point out that we have these patterns if we can't see them ourselves. There's always something that we're... Um, we don't notice about ourselves because it seems normal mm-hmm. and, uh, and it takes either a very dramatic event or someone to, to point that out for us to help us um, change that in our process of healing. Yes. And it reminds me of the, the uh, you know, the, the saying, you know, how do you, how do you boil a frog? You just put them in water and slowly turn up the heat, you know, and they don't realize that they're cooking um, until it's too late. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's what we do. We do that in all sorts of situations. But, you know, when it feels like, hey, this is a, something I'm familiar with, we don't realize all the damage that we're doing to ourselves by remaining in a toxic relationship or a toxic situation until likely it's too late or there's a lot of, you know, pain and cost that's come along. And I wish it could be different, but, you know, the, the human heart, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It's what makes us so complicated. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so when we're going about this process, um, how important is our physical well-being? That's hugely important. You know, we can't just look at one side. You know, I, I have I, I met a lot of folks in the 
the mindfulness community who have really paid a lot and very much focused on their inner life um, and sitting on the cushion so much so that their physical well-being is is clearly um, in in a poor poor state and you know as much value as we put on sort of that Zen state of mind you do you know your body is your temple and and so that says something if we're not taking care of that side as well um, then we're not fully integrated. So, you know, our, our bodies, um, they give us the carriage to go and, and pursue that which we need and, and give us energy to, to do it. And, and really the brain power, the clarity, um, that we need in order to live the fullest life possible. So how we nourish ourselves, you know, how we fuel this body we're in is really important because, you know, it's the saying, garbage in, garbage out. Um, if we're putting garbage in our bodies, then at some point we're really minimizing our potential. And we just simply can't deny it. And movement is incredibly important. I don't think you need to go to CrossFit. I don't think you need to go sign up to, you know, run a half marathon program or anything like that. But you do need to be at least hopefully 20 minutes a day getting to an aerobic level with your heart rate because your body needs that. We were built to move. We were not built to sit. Um, in fact, there's more and more research of how actually devastating sitting for too long is on our bodies. So we've got these legs. We're built the way we are because we're meant to be walking, running, moving, crawling, picking up things, you know, and we need to do that. Um, Well, I definitely agree with you. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Hallie Bach. She's the author of Life Incorporated, A Practical Guide to Wholehearted Living. We'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune in to Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What does health look like in an ailing world? How do we tend what needs our care? Join Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio hosts each week as we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. 
To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Hallie Bach. She's the author of Life Incorporated, A Practical Guide to Wholehearted Living. So, Hallie, in this process, when we're trying to become more connected and uh, live from the inside out, how important is is passion in all of this? Well, you know, having having the passion, you know, for life, uh, to, to live a full life, that's that's important, you know. If if we really want to, again, you know, I I read a lot of articles, obviously, you know, and and the ones where they're talking to folks in hospice, um, people that are at the end of their life, their their regret is always the number one regret, no matter how you phrase it, is always, I wish I had lived a life that was intended for me and not done what others expected of me. And so for me, part and parcel of that is finding one's own passion. And it gets back to what we were talking about before, which is being grounded in yourself, not tying on to what you think others expect of you um, or want of you um, or will what, what will make you look good on paper, but finding your own passion. Why are you here on this earth? What do you want to do? What's the thumbprint that you want to leave that is uniquely you and looks like no other? I think that's hugely important. You cannot live a fulfilled life, you know, take it from the people on their deathbed that are telling us, please live your life. And that's what I mean by passion. That's very individual, very unique. So how does somebody go about finding out what their passion is? Yeah, well, it <laughs> just get a fortune cookie, I guess. And, and yeah, it yeah. <laughs> just gets handed to us. <laughs> yeah, just pull, I was just at the DMV the other day pulling down a number and thought, wow, they really still have these things. Um, they could at least put a little note, you know, like a fortune on the back. That'd be kind of fun. Um, yeah, so how do you find your passion? You know, I, I, th- I think that there are a, a few different ways. Uh, and I've got three exercises in the book that sort of get around um, finding your own inspiration, you know, um, finding your why. And, and the first place I have people start is with a personal manifesto, which, you know, if you look at our sort of lives as, um, as a boat, um, our personal manifesto is the fuel, and and it is a kind of riotous group of statements, unabashed, you know, that that tells um, others what it is that you believe in, and it's made up of a few things. There's t- I have people put down ten statements of um, completing the phrase "I believe." And then three statements of how you want to change the world. Um, and then finally, five wisdom statements with, I know this to be true. And you put together those statements, and in it, you start to find that spark, that fuel of like, yeah, this is what like turns me on, and this is what I really 
believe in. And then from there, I have folks move to the core values, um, which is really the rudder on the boat. This, now that we've got our fuel and we've tapped into, you know, how we like to impact the world, what we really believe in, those core values are our rudder so that as we pick up the wind in our sails, that's going to tell us how we're going to navigate from here to there. So if if I put down that um, one of my core values is that I'm courageous, and for me, I define that as always stating what I believe in, even in the face of disapproval, then if somebody asks me to do something, and, and this is an example in the book, I was asked to do a keynote at an event, um, but I found out later that it was for a company that did a lot of animal testing. And I just, I was so excited because I got this keynote and it was the first gig and it was like, this is great. You know, I'm fully on fire and it's going to be on a topic I want. But, oh my gosh, as an animal lover and someone who is distinctly, personally, very much against that, I can't do it because one of my core values is to be courageous and it is to stand up for my thoughts and beliefs, even, you know, no matter what. And so I had to follow that core value. And so that's what I mean by that, that, that rudder. Um, and then the third step of that is the personal mission statement, which um, kind of looks at, it, it's, a, it's a, a statement that puts together the value that you create with who you're creating it for, and then finally, the intended impact. So um, I think Oprah's mission statement, personal mission statement, is to be a teacher and to be known for inspiring my students to be more than they thought they could be. All right? And then that becomes our North Star. So we've got our, our rocket fuel. We've got our personal manifesto that's very emotive. We've got our rudder in the ground, our core values, how we're going to navigate from here to there. And then we've got our mission statement, which is our North Star, where we're ultimately headed for, um, pulling us along. And and with that combination of three, it's very, you know, through doing those exercises, you get very connected. It gets very personal, right, and finding that that passion. Well, you know, I... I I like what you're you're saying about finding out your core values. I think that sometimes things, people get lost in that, you know, um, where they're um, they they won't say no because they don't re- you realize that it's going against them because they're used to saying yes to something, and mm-hmm. and without having that um, written out, it's really easy to forget where you want to be and to do exercises like that I can see how that can help you to to stand up for what you're believing in and to know what that is as well to have worked through that and 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 come up to that process of okay this is this is what I want so everything I I do um, will be towards you know that goal or, or you know that life yeah it's it's you know and and it really is important, you know, and, and after I said that no, which was the hardest no to give, um, as someone who just gotten booted out of her company, you know, and was on their own, it's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You know, it was like, this is some kind of joke. But as soon as I delivered that no, uh, the person that was booking me for the keynote said, I so admire 
your decision, and I totally get it. I want you to know there's no hard feelings, and I've got more opportunities, actually, on the back of this. And so it turned out to be even more. And, and I know that this person respected me a lot more for showing up the way I did. Um, but you can't do that when you don't take the time to know who you are. Um, and, but when you know who you are, then when we step down and you move forward, you can really make an imprint, you know, in life and then with others around you. You can have an impact. Well, and I, I think it can be very, very catching as well as somebody else sees you make those changes in yourself. And, and of course, they're going to want that passion and that, that joy that's coming from you for themselves as well. Yes, definitely. It's contagious. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. So um, in your book, you talk about avocation and vocation. What is that? Mm-hmm. I talk about avocation and vocation, um, and I'll, I'll tell you what those two are in just a minute, but first I want to say why. Why do I talk about both? Um, and I talk about both because I think very often we, especially as Americans, we overlook the importance of having an avocation. Um we tend to um, look at our life, and, and I use the model of a tree to represent a life. Um, the soil is the foundation, so that's where our, our, the health of our inner life, our physical well-being, and our community sit. Those, that's what will nourish us. And then our roots are the inspiration. That's what we just talked about, our core uh, values, our personal manifesto, our, our personal mission statement, you know, our why, right? So we can draw that up, and then the branches of our tree are all the ways in which we can express that which matters to us. And too often, I feel like I see these trees that have one huge branch, you know, and they're leaning way off to the side. Um, that is their vocation. And it's like everything gets poured into their job. It's all about going sort of up the ladder and achieve, 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 achieve. And because as good Americans, we're so goal-oriented and we're going to go up and up and up, oftentimes we forget why we're doing it until we're at the top and then think, huh, what am I doing here? Um, But needless to say, we get so hyper-focused and then one-dimensional because we're just paying attention to that one opportunity of expression when in reality we have other opportunities. We can have avocations. We can have more than just one vocation, but we could certainly have multiple avocations. And so a vocation is, it really should be something that is connected to a sense of a purpose in you. Um, the, it, it should, if it's really a vocation, there's a sense of calling to do the work. Some of us get that, some of us don't, but at the end of the day, a vocation delivers um, monetary reward in exchange for your time and talent. Whereas an avocation is, again, it's connected to something that you're passionate about, something that you have a big desire to do, but it has absolutely no pressure to deliver monetary reward or outcome. Um, So for some, that could be an athletic endeavor. Uh, For others, it can be volunteering. It could be, um, you know, doing coaching. It could be uh, having a little jewelry business and selling on Etsy. You know, it's a way that we can express at least one or a few of these, these threads of passion 
Um, instead of trying to shove it all into vocation and expect that that one area of expression can deliver all of that to us. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty complex. I'm not just passionate about one thing. There's multiple things that fire me up. I can't imagine what kind of job or vocation that would be that could handle all of that, you know? So I, I go out and, and, and in doing so, I've got this tree that's much more balanced, right? And I, and I'm also allowing my, the roots of my inspiration to come up and go somewhere by having these avocations and these other, you know, key, those other branches on your tree are also your key relationships. So if you are, a parent, you know, your children should be one of those branches or a spouse, your spouse is one of those branches. We want to make sure that we're tending and allowing all of that um, to be expressed in, in a healthy way. So how important are those key relationships in all of this? Well, you know, I think it's important to have key relationships. If, if we're just by ourselves, we tend to get weird, you know. <laughs> um, we need other people, like you said earlier, to give us that outside perspective. Um, that's good. Um, and, and and to also just, just be in relationship with others and continue to develop compassion and empathy. And, I mean, we're social creatures. That's, that's what we're built to do, right, is, is to be with. Um, and, and so those key relationships as they're defined in the book are, are those relationships that you choose to be in, right? There's no, nobody's forcing you, nobody's paying you to be in them. Um, they're of your own volition and you're spending a significant amount of time, um, with that person or at least on that person. So it could be, you know, you may have a best friend, you know, that you're just really tight with and you would consider them a a key relationship. I think what's more important is not how many key relationships you have on your tree. Um, I often find less is more in that case. Um, But it's once they are on your tree, once you've identified them, I, I have two kids, I have a spouse, they're on my tree, so they're important. They're key relationships. So I have to make sure, and I don't always get it right, and this book is not about being perfect, um, because perfect is boring, and it's impossible. Um, but it's like, okay, so I can't just focus on as excited as I might be about work and my vocation. I could spend a lot of time there, but I've got these other things, you know, these other relationships here that I need to take care of so that the the leaves at the end of those branches are there. You know, I uh, I don't know how many times that I have met people, you know, who who have a really strong, healthy looking tree or a, a great vocation, but they're you know, if you looked at the leaves as their impact and the health of their relationships, it would be impermanent winter. You know, they're just void. Um, they're not looking out for them at all. And we, and we need to. Well, Hallie, hopefully uh, people listening to this show can figure out, you know, how to do that. And your book also lays out some really um, great ways for people to do that. Is there a way that people can get a hold of you or, or your book? Yeah, absolutely. The book is on Amazon uh, and uh, Barnes & Noble as well. And uh, to learn more about me or get into contact with me, they can visit my website, that's lifeincorporated.co, 
lifeincorporated.co, um, and they can find me there and email me from there if they wish. Okay, perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And I want to thank everybody for listening, and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.